Welcome to the Journal Hijabi podcast. I'm your host, Sirin, and here we're all about elevating the voices of hijabi women in mainstream media through authentic storytelling. Without further ado, let's begin the episode. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Welcome to the Journal of Hijabi podcast. My name is Serene, and today we have a guest, Abdurrahman. He is a YouTuber in the DFW area and has an interest of discussing intriguing, interesting questions that might be ignorant to a male mind in regards to the hijab. So I definitely thought it would be you know, an interesting topic and guest to have on Journal Hijabi. And so before we do get started in today's episode, I have an icebreaker that we do. And it's really a daily check-in of how you feel right now. So we go over the four topics, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So starting with me, physically, I feel... I'm going to say just a bit lazy since it is the weekend and I've pretty much just been been at home, but I feel productive in, in recording this interesting episode. Mentally, I am preparing myself for the summer semester. Emotionally, I am neutral and spiritually, every day I try my best. Now it's your turn. Uh, so physically, uh, just a little bit, bit burnt out. I was out last night um, at a wedding, ended about like 1 a.m. So it's a little bit tiring. Mentally, I'm feeling a bit motivated, a bit sharp. I have a lot of work this summer I have to achieve. So I'm just constantly every weekend, I'm like re-energizing myself mentally to 
handle the task at hand emotionally. I want to say I'm stable and spiritually. Uh, spiritually, alhamdulillah, I think I'm becoming better every single day, alhamdulillah. Okay, awesome. So in episode eight, a little throwback, I interviewed two guys about how they can advocate for hijabis. And so in relation to today's topic episode, I thought I would ask you the same first question that I asked them. But before that, kind of highlighting how that episode was. And so kind of quoting one of them, Saim, he said, as men, we don't know what that's like at all, like wearing the hijab. And so first and foremost, we need to listen and understand it and having prevalent conversations, uh, conversations about these should be, you know, more in common and kind of highlighting that there was a disconnect of Muslim men not knowing what it feels like wearing the hijab and understanding it. So kind of tying that back into today and this episode, what are your thoughts on general hijabi and why do you think that a guy's perspective should be included in the topic of the hijab? Uh, my overall thoughts on general hijabi, I, I really do like it. I think it definitely gives a platform for hijabis to to express whatever difficulties they may have had as a non-hijabi and as a hijabi. And I think the platform in itself, like general hijabi, allows other people who maybe aren't sure about putting the hijab on yet. Um, it might make it more comforting. It might... Um, Okay, this is actually a little bit difficult than I thought it would be. But um, it it's getting might, deep. It's getting deep. It's general hijabi. But no, it does give, um, like, if I was, like, a non-hijabi listening to the general hijabi, I definitely, it would provide, like, a comfort space. I want to say, I feel like, a com not a community, but in a sense, a community can sort of get formed from this. Yeah, for sure. And then, and then what was the second question? So the second question is, why do you think that a guy's perspective should be included in the topic of the hijab? And, you know, this is the same question that I've asked the the two guys that came on. So I guess I'm going to ask every guy that. So go ahead. And you have the document. You ha yeah, you have the document open. What was their response out of curiosity? Yeah, so their response was that you know, he, they're not really ever going to know how it feels like to wear the hijab. But first and foremost, it's just important to listen and form conversations like these and make them more prevalent. So that's what we're doing today. Okay, well, I want to agree with that. I think I mentioned that earlier, that having those discussions. And then I, sh I explained like a little bit of my ignorance off the uh, earlier about how it's not um like a guy's perspective we don't know what a female is going through that there's levels to becoming a hijabi i'm so sorry can we can we stop no that's fine you can you know you could pause this isn't like live on air this can be edited so if if you just make a mistake you can just pause and continue Okay, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm actually getting tense right now. 
Well, that that's you know that's the goal. That's how you know you're in the right place. This is a this is a podcast, and I just want to tell you that this is the exact way that they felt about it. Almost every guest that I've I've had here, you know, was nervous and tensed up. So. I think I would want to leave this part just to show the authenticity of, you know, behind the scenes of, of, of this this podcast and really coming on here. It's serious. You know, we're having serious, deep conversations that aren't really talked about, about the hijab. And so, like, once you're confronted with them and really look deeply, because I don't think we've really ever looked so deep into the topic of the hijab that it's such a new uh, kind of realm for us so the feelings your feelings are you know supposed to be felt and I get it so I think you answered that first question very well so kind of moving on to the second um, you know kind of topic and, and question so in our pre-call you kind of talked about your experience being one of four Muslims living in the city of Duncanville, which was very interesting. And so that kind of gave you a secluded perspective about, um, you know, the Muslim community and also hijabis. And so you even mentioned that you used to be ignorant about hijabis in America. And so my question is, how did you branch out and expose yourself to the Muslim and hijabi community? Well, I want to say... It was through really the MSA community. Um, I had a, I went to MOS, which is basically a leadership leadership summit held around August every year for all MSAs to attend. And I was always so used to seeing Muslim women with just hijabis on. You know, that's what that was my way to identify someone if they were Muslim or not is the hijabi. Anyways, so. Yeah, through MOS, I bumped into someone who wasn't hijabi. She introduced herself, and I just simply asked her, I was like, hey, are you Muslim? Because, again, like, I thought maybe she was going to become a cop. She was going to convert or something. And she goes, yeah, of course, why? I was like, so why aren't you wearing your hijab? Like, and it wasn't like, it wasn't like me pressing her, you know? Like, it was never like, why aren't you wearing it? It was more so just, like, out of genuine curiosity, you know? Because, like I said, my mother's worn her hijab her entire life. Well, that I've seen. Um, all my aunts, all my cousins, they all wear theirs, but I'm not too close with any female cousins. So yeah, I asked her and she, she had a really good answer and she took it like very well because I think had I asked the wrong person that question, I think that could have gone south very, very quickly. So alhamdulillah, but she, she was kind enough to, you know, giving up a good answer without any like harshness, but she explained to me how it's a bit of a journey and she wants she wanted to um when she put the hijab on it wanted to be like a complete faith thing and it did because like she was explaining to me how there was a, obviously there's peer i don't know if you've ever experienced this but a little bit of peer pressure and you know people telling her to put it on just put it on it's not that big of a deal but she wanted to put it on for the right reasons and for that i applauded it and later on so a little bit afterwards i bumped into some more people um, at Kolum, I got exposed to Kolum and Roots. I had never heard of Kolum or Roots until last summer. Do you know about it? Oh, yes. I, I love it. Shout out to Kolum Institute and Roots DFW. Okay, yeah. So, um, I met more of them there as well. 
and I would ask them like a little bit discreetly because I because like um Hamdulillah the person who told me about it she you know told me like some people could react this way so I would become friends with a few non-hijabis and I would just like ask them discreetly and they all had you know very similar answers Alhamdulillah um they all had the right reasons for why they want like they had the right i want to wear this properly so i don't it doesn't sound wrong but they had the right reasons of not wearing it but they do want to wear it like they they want their intentions to be pure so for that i like really applauded all of them wow that was a very good story in in branching out and you said it's it's called mos what is that for the people that don't know it's a summer camp uh, it's not really a camp. It's just like a two, two, three day little leadership summit, right? So last year, it was at this place called New Bromsfield. And so we drove out. To, oh, it's, oh, I forgot the location, but it's around like, it's an hour out from Austin. I think a little bit east, like it's east, an hour east of Austin. But yeah, so you go there and it's just like I said, it's a bit of a leadership summit, but it also has like some kickback time as well. They address like, um, they they get they they address things that you know as a leader some things you might be confronted by so like i remember like the hijab like later that day they asked um should msas require um people to wear the hijab now they weren't telling you to do it they were just asking like you know because you're a leader and then uh whoever's leading the session they would like open up people's points of view so you'd hear different people's points of views so it's sort of like men on one side women on the other and if you agree with this statement you step forward and if you disagree you step backwards and you hear p different people's points of view and then um whoever was leading the session would give like a well-rounded point of view that you should probably take into consideration and then they also had guest speakers come speak at the thing it's it's really fun um right now it's in the works of it well, we should have a date for it this year within um by next weekend inshallah if this is published after next week, I can maybe tell it to you, and then you can maybe slip it in inside. But really good uh, experience, alhamdulillah. That is what kind of put me on, for lack of a better term, the Dallas Ummah. Because after MOS, and this is a little bit branching out, but after MOS, I went to Kulum. And then at Kulum, <laughs> you, you bump into everybody. You know, you make mm -hmm. this, like, you, you, you know what it's like, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think... Qalam and Roots have really created such a unique Muslim community in DFW, especially targeted for young Muslims in our modern age of wanting to connect to like-minded people in not only a religious aspect, but a societal and, and cultural aspect. So... I'm, I'm glad you, you came across them because they know how to get their message across. So what has been the advantage of being in your local MSA? And, you know, you kind of mentioned that your cousin is the chair of the LSC, which the the lone state council, I believe, um, of that kind of chairs the, the MSAs in Texas. You also talked about the... Uh, UTMSA is, you know, one of the best chapters in, in, in Muslim communities. So can you kind of talk, talk about that a bit more about what's been the advantage of, of being involved in a local MSA? Yeah, so I went to Mountain View last semester. And so, so after MOS happened, 
I got inspired to go create my own MSA at Mountain View because they didn't have one. And it was a little bit rough trying to um, get engagement because at Mountain View, it's it's in a weird spot. I like to call it the Muslim desert because it's between the three cities of Grand Prairie, Duncanville, and Oak Cliff, which the Muslim de- like population there is like very small, you know? So it was a little bit difficult, but um, alhamdulillah, I think I had a good year as president. Um, I had an iftar there where we invited um, people from all over DFW to come attend. But going back to your question, I would participate with UTA's MSA a lot as well. And because of it, I want to say it brought me closer to my dean, you know, um, because a lot of the times, because I told you, like, I only went to school and there was for Muslims. So being wasn't something that was pushed as heavy onto me. You know, Alhamdulillah, my parents did a good job of raising me, but when you go to a school where there's only four Muslims, like, you know, influences creep in and whatnot. But Alhamdulillah, as I've, you know, hopped into this MSA community, you know, um, it's it's ignited like my dean to go up a lot. So for example, I'll be at UTA and we're in the middle of a classroom. Makhrib will come in. People will go make wudu, pray then and there. You know, back then I was so used to, oh, I'll just pray at home or at the masjid. There's no other way I can pray. Whereas now, there's no real excuse for me, like, not to pray nowadays. You know, um, especially when you have, like, this brotherhood that's, like, sort of pushing you, like, that pushes one another to, like, do better. Alhamdulillah, I, I myself have been pushing people who aren't really who don't really know about MSA, trying to get them into it because of the effect it had on me. And inshallah, it can have the same effect on them. And as for the advantage of my cousin being Sir, he has exposed me to a lot. I've been able to sort of like revamp my friend groups in a sense to having more Muslim friends, which pushes me like i said so it's sort of the same thing with um just the msa it's sort of a similar answer in the sense it just increases my dean you know just being sort of under his wing going around seeing different msas seeing how they operate i went to a juma uh utd um are you familiar with utd yes the way they packed out um this area for juma like the Jumas at UTA, for example, you maybe get like 50, 60 people. Mm-hmm. I want to say there's over 100 people, mashallah, yeah. you know, at the UTD one. So just mm-hmm. being able to have this level of exposure and just like growing with Taisir at the same time, because as he's at in chair, he's also, you know, improving himself. And it's made me want to sort of follow in his footsteps as well to improve myself, just like from the small things to like, for example, not listening to music as much. Um, trying to listen to machines and Quran a little bit more, covering my knees instead of wearing shorts, you know, or wearing leggings to cover my knees when I wear shorts, and just like these small things. Um, yeah, that's that's my answer for that one. Yep. Well, that that was well said. You know, I kind of joke around and say that UTA is basically a hijabi university, like I call it, a hijabi university. Because um, there are so many hijabis in such a, a large Muslim community, but kind of looking at UTD, that's like a whole nother level. And kind of like what you were saying about, you know, we have the options and opportunities now where 
there are places to pray on campus that have developed by MSA. Like at UTA, I think there's at least like three or four locations uh, across campus um, to do so. And so, you know, kind of thinking about Muslims in America and hijabis in America and, and universities and especially in Texas, a southern state, it's like, who knew that there would be this large community and these resources available to us? So thank God for that. So kind of going to our last segment of this episode and kind of the spicy part. So revolving ignorant questions about hijabis for men, which is typically the initial topic that you were really intrigued in bringing onto journal hijabi into why you have reached out. And so you kind of discussed with me questions that you would ask yourself as a Muslim man regarding hijabis and kind of, you know, maybe in general. And so we're going to talk about those questions and then you're kind of going to, you know, maybe give a backstory or an, an idea to why do you think that Muslim men, you know, might have this ignorant mindset about this question or topic about the hijab and how can we kind of turn that around to have a collective supportive community between Muslim and Muslim men and, and hijabi women. And so the first question that you were kind of asking yourself, you know, and kind of thinking about your background that you've, you've talked about, you know, being in the city of Duncanville, there aren't many Muslims out there and being being in your small local uh, Mountain View College in MSA. And so you didn't really have that outlook, whereas me being in, in, you know, in high school, a lot of Arabs and Muslims at my university, a lot of Arabs and Muslims constantly surrounded by Muslims and, and hijabis. And so that was just the norm for me. And so, you know, I have that perspective. And so one question that you would ask yourself is, about the hijab, what makes it so hard to wear the hijab? So why do you think that you kind of were asking yourself that question? What's the background to it? And how can we kind of turn it around? Yeah, so back then when I used to think that, I didn't think it was that hard, you know? Um, I thought, yeah, you might get a little bit of stick, you know, from people making jokes and whatnot because like you said, I was, I did go to Duncanville, not that many Muslims there. So I experienced a little bit, and this is kind of wandering off. I'll get back to the path in a little bit, but I experienced a little bit of like what it's like to get essentially bullied, but I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was that bad. And I don't think that's not the only reason people don't wear hijabs, but I thought that was probably the only reason that Muslim women didn't wear hijabs. So that was something that I used to just think like, what is so hard but i think it's easier said than done because i think as men the religion is like i want to make sure i word this properly it's it's not as strict on men as it is on women in the sense of like you know women have to cover up a lot you know whereas men we only have to cover from our knees to the belly but with women, there's a certain image that's supposed to, that gets portrayed. Like, am I making sense a little bit? 
No, I, I definitely understand where you're going. Um, but I will say definitely, you know, with this podcast, we really highlight the societal and cultural aspect of the hijab. And so, you know, we kind of look at the hijab, well, you know, why would we listen to the opinions of the community about about the hijab and, and kind of, you know, that, that personal choice and, and looking at it really from a cultural aspect rather than um, a, a religious aspect. But I definitely understand what, um, what you're saying. It is pretty difficult to kind of understand or maybe you know see that that perspective because it's like you know maybe your experience of, of being previously bullied I would say wouldn't really align with like the experiences of wearing the hijab it's not even like when I think of you know young Muslim women's like even my personal story of I didn't wear it you know until later on like sophomore year of high school and so if you would have asked me that question, well, what makes it so hard to wear the hijab? Well, because it's a pretty big decision. It's like making that decision is, is going to change yourself, your life, everyone around you. I've known hijabis that have lost many friends just by putting on the hijab, like their American friends, um, you know, being treated differently, not getting as much job interviews. There's many, many different um, aspects that men might not you won't be able to understand or see because you won't see it until, you know, you do it. And it's like, you're not going to do it. <laughs> or you're going to put on a hijab, you know, as, as an, an experience. It's like very different. So just to kind of like keep that in mind, it's like it gets very deep. But I think it's very personal to each uh, hijabi woman that like it, it's different levels. Like maybe it might have been easy for that Muslim woman to wear the hijab and she wore it immediately. And then for another woman, it might have been such a difficult struggle. So it, it kind of really, really varies on, on both sides of, of the spectrum. But kind of going back to the next question that you mentioned, which we didn't really know how to word it, but it could get a bit of, you know, backlash. So your kind of mindset, you were saying Muslim women who don't, who didn't wear the hijab, you kind of saw it as them trying to bait themselves or in another sense, you know, put themselves out there. So why do you think that, why, why, why do you think that way about the woman who didn't wear the hijab? And this is, you know, your previous mindset. And so what kind of like changed that? That was just something that I used to think in a sense of like, you wanted that like let's say male attention or maybe yeah. even female attention in the sense of like not you okay let me reword this so i used to believe that if you weren't wearing the hijab and this was like a very short period of time this was just something that i was thinking because kind of tying it back to roots and not to put any shade on roots is i would hear that roots is just a place for fit and like i heard that you know there are these things that that roots isn't like, people would go to Roots, but with skewed intentions. So I was kind of tying this into the not wearing the hijab in the sense of, like, you're not wearing it because you you want, like, you kind of want to be a fitna in a sense. Like, and that, that kind of made sense because I think a woman's hair is a big part of their beauty. 
And I was thinking them revealing that was like, you know, that's like sort of they're like, hey, look at me, if, if that makes sense. No, I understand that. Um, I would say that's a pretty outdated, you know, vision to have. But I can, you know, kind of see back in the day that's, that's kind of how it's seen that like, you know, well, you don't have it on, you're revealing your beauty you like want attention but I think you know looking at it now in modern days it's like it's much more bigger than that it's so easy just to say well you know if I saw a Muslim guy that's wearing like a tank top and gold what am I gonna say he's asking for it or like skinny jeans with holes is he we don't I mean we don't view it that way he might be but do you kind of see where I'm going to where like the opposite side of the party isn't asking those same questions it just is what it is yeah no again this is like back then because mind you like you said earlier like most like i was not ever exposed to like muslim women other than like mom sister family members who are Mm -hmm. pretty distant and they all wear their hijabs so when i'm seeing people not wearing hijabs like this was like oh moment This, this was something i was never used to you know it was and it was never like because there's some people, like, I was never, like, trying to be the haram police, as some people like to call it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think you, I think you were the haram police at, at one point, but now, I, now I don't, are you a police? I don't think you're any police. I mean, it was more out of just genuine curiosity, like, I was never, like, like, like I said before, I was never pressing them, like, why aren't you doing this? Why isn't this? Like, it was just genuine curiosity, mm-hmm. and, like, my mind would like just wander like hmm, i wonder is it because of this is it because of that does that make sense yeah i see where you're getting at so i think really that the the point of this so kind of looking at that past mindset that you had having these questions having these perspectives how would you kind of describe your mind and perspective surrounding muslim women in the hijab today how has it shifted today after branching out and being in MSAs and being at UTA in your local communities well it's it's more so changed just for the younger generation I think primarily and this might be an ignorant take but I think a lot of people who like let's say came over here like my mother she came over here from Africa and I want to assume like most of these people are like what do they call it like a lot of people's parents had came over here from whatever country they came from, whether it's Pakistan, the Middle East, or whatever. I want to say them wearing the hijab has just been like a continuation of however they were living back then. But my outlook on hijab is like, let's say people my age, you know, there's like a huge respect and a sense of they, most of them probably went on some journey of putting it on. Like, it's not simple. Like, I feel like putting it on today, I'll become hijabi. You know, there was a lot of thought process that went into it. And it's not simple either. You know, um, from what I understand, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But it's not a simple journey where you, you know, it's something that took time, effort. Some people question their intentions, whether to put it on or not. And so that, that would be my answer towards that um, whenever I look at hijabis nowadays. All right. I see. Well, that, you know, I, I agree with that. And I'm kind of glad that being submerged in those communities has kind of, you know, shifted those, those topics about hijabi women and your previous understanding of it. 
So this brings us to the end of the episode. Do you have anything else that you want to discuss before we end it? Yeah, I got one question. What, and this was, I think this was on the sheet. Um, okay, okay. Whenever, I want to, you were non-hijabi before, right? Yeah, I think every hijabi was a non-hijabi before they came a hijab. A hijabi. Okay. Um, besides religion, what things can possibly influence you to put it on? So I think that's a pretty important question to ask and a question that I really crafted this podcast about because, you know, I mentioned that it, it's really surrounding more so the societal and cultural aspect. And so kind of growing up in an environment where you've seen most of the women in your life wear the hijab kind of automatically influences you to do the same. You know, being grown up as Muslim can also have the same effect that like as, as a Muslim woman, like, okay, you know, at one point in your life, you know, you're seeing your mom wearing it, you're seeing your sister wearing it, you're seeing your aunt, you know, your cousins. At one point, what is that going to look like for me? At one point, I need to make that life-altering decision. And so it can be those different factors, outside factors. Um, and also, you know, kind of, I, I, I guess in a sense, that would really be peer pressure of maybe seeing girls your age starting to wear it and then your mom is like oh look at so and so who who put it on and kind of you know going to school or seeing new hijabis and it's like oh shoot like am i next it's like the day is coming the day is getting closer but you know really at the end of the day especially like in modern times today i think there's a more like open mind regarding the hijab of really making it your own personal experience that no one else can influence you to wear it not even your religion you know yes i i said that because different people can in interpret it different ways and i think there's many different ways of wearing the hijab the hijab is really just modesty um when it comes down to it and so it, it it's really you know a, a personal choice you know that would be my my answer to that yeah, and so going back to something you said real quickly, you mentioned how your your sis, your mom was so. Quick question: I want to, I don't want to assume, but has was your mom always wearing her hijab? No. Okay, okay. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, when did she start wearing her hijab in your life? I'm gonna say maybe when I was like around fifth grade. You know, it really, it, it really, uh, you know, varies because I had also asked her that question um, because there were, there were even periods where like she had it on and then for a period she didn't. And so the period that she didn't and also most of her friends when they came to America and it was, you know, when 9-11 happened. And so the Muslim community, like the woman just kind of felt afraid to put it on. And so there was just this wave of them taking it off for a period and, you know, she really calls it a moment of ignorance where they just chose to, like, all take it off because, you know, they were afraid. Um, but, you know, they all put it put it back on. But, you know, just, yeah, just, like, being around that, that environment, it's, like, the more something feels 
familiar to you, you're more likely to do it. And so that was kind of, you know, the hijab looking and feeling familiar. You know, like if you grew up with a mom or a sister or cousins or a community that never wore the hijab, like you don't even know what that is, never seen it, then most likely you're probably not going to put it on because it's not familiar to you, you know, it's not influenced to you. But really, again, looking at it in modern days, it really comes down to you. Like, I'm not saying, like, I know some people that don't have the hijab at all in their environment, but still choose to put it on because it was their personal choice. So I was going to ask, so would you, before you put it on your sophomore year, were you wearing it, for example, Sunday school or uh obviously you wore it when you'd go to the mosque can i assume that yes yeah so i would wear it when i would go to the mosque and i would wear it in during sunday school to and you know every time you pray okay um i don't know if this question is going to turn out redundant i hope it doesn't if it does please uh remove it but as you're seeing like as you're growing through so what was the age period where people started putting their hijabs on like where it was like it was a every okay and she's done it now she's done it. now she's done it old age group for that so when a muslim woman reaches puberty that's when it's said for her to put it on and so they make different decisions along the way depending on the woman so it's like you know right when she hits puberty she'll put it on or three years later or 10 years later or maybe never okay uh the question i was trying to ask was as that's going on, was did you were you ever tempted to put it on like not based off of pressure, but more so like to join a wave, in a sense, or did you did you ever feel that way? Like I hope this isn't redundant. I understand kind of where you're going with that, but personally, I did not. But I do know some Muslim women who have you know when they wear it in sunday school it just kind of stuck to them and they genuinely liked it and they just had it on like ever since then but to me okay. it was a random decision that i made and it was you know not influenced at all i had the option and you know i just put it on and then last question and then we'll wrap it up um what what was one of the scariest experiences you experienced as a hijabi when you became hijabi like when you were like new with it i would say the fear you know i didn't know this podcast was going to turn turn around on me and, and you were going to ask interview questions but I'm so sorry. i would say the fear the fear of the unknown you know like just putting it on hopping on a bus and not knowing like how the trajectory of your life is going to end up then but being surrounded by people who have had it on and and have the experience with it makes you feel much more comfortable and i think that's what really motivated me that knowing that i was going to go to school and i was going to see many different arab and muslim women that were going to celebrate me and and cheer me on and i kind of had that safe space to go to all right well i think we had an amazing interesting pretty deep and spicy conversation um surrounding about the topics of the hijab i want to thank you for reaching out for coming on for sharing your story and your perspective 
lastly, do you want to share your socials for our listeners today? For the IG, it's dtx.abdul. My YouTube channel is Abdul's Adventures. And then my TikTok is uh, dtx.abdul as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. All right. Thank you for having me. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for reaching the end of the episode. We hope you learned something new about the women who wear the hijab. You can watch the recorded video of this episode on YouTube at Journal Hijabi. And be sure to follow our Instagram at Journal Hijabi to stay updated on all things hijabi and help spread our stories. Until next time, never forget the power of being a hijabi.